All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, our good friend, constitutional scholar and gun rights advocate, Michael Moore, has uh, written a 28th amendment to the constitution. And in that amendment, he repeals the second amendment and he creates different inalienable rights. Now, listen, everybody on the right is tearing this to pieces as they should. However, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to go through each section of the amendment that he wrote so that you are equipped to argue against this in a way that is far more comprehensive because here's the great part. Not only does this demonstrate, not only does this put on display that he has no idea why the second amendment was created in the first place. It also demonstrates that he has no idea how to write a law and he's not alone. There's a lot of people that actually like this. So we're going to equip you with everything you need to be able to tear this down piece by piece. All coming up on this episode of making the argument. As we walk through Michael Moore's 28th Amendment, if you walk away knowing, understanding how to better make the argument for what it is that you believe, hope you'll let us know in the YouTube comments section and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, this past Friday, Nick and I were chatting about how we're so happy to see that the podcast is growing, we're adding new listeners, and that's we really appreciate that. But we're also frustrated by the fact that we don't have a great way to communicate with you all face-to-face get the feedback on the arguments that we're making. And I have a solution for that that we're going to be introducing next Tuesday, a week from today. And we look forward to joining you uh, in this new platform that we are starting. And we'll talk to you then. All right. Well, as always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. And for the purposes of this conversation, I'll also mention I am the subcommittee chairman for subcommittee one on public safety, which hears all of the gun legislation in the House of Delegates in the Commonwealth of Virginia. With us, as always, my beautiful bride, Queen of the Bees, Tina. Hello, everyone. And, of course, our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. Hello. And then we have our producer of producers, Nick Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Always a pleasure to be here. All right, well, let's get right into this, because Michael Moore decided that with the, with the whole discussion— on guns and and gun violence and and public safety. What it really needed was Michael Moore's input. Um, (laughs) We were all waiting for it. I was sitting here. I'm like, you know, I don't even know how to think about any of this until Michael Moore tells me. And and thankfully, not only did he come out and tell us, not he he didn't make another documentary. He just wrote a 28th Amendment. And what I love about what he wrote is that I hear so many people that when they talk about guns, when they talk about any issue, they will take this sort of language that he has used here and say, like, I don't understand why we can't just make this a law. Well, let's go through, and maybe by the time we're done, hopefully everybody listening to this will understand exactly why you can't write laws this way. All right, so let's start off with a Section 1 of the 20th, 20th Amendment brought to us by Michael Moore. The inalienable right 
of a free people to be kept safe from gun violence and the fear thereof must not be infringed and shall be protected by the Congress and the states. This amendment thus repeals and replaces the Second Amendment. Now, if you understand how you know, the process works for a bill to become a law, or in this case for an amendment, a proposed amendment to become a law, this would start off somewhere in a subcommittee. If this were in Virginia, it would start off in my subcommittee. So I would love to have Delegate Moore step forward with this because I would look at this first part and I would say, hmm, the inalienable right of a free people to be kept safe from gun and violence and the fear thereof. Well, gosh, inalienable. I, I know what that means. Inalienable means that essentially it's inherent. Like you have it. It can't be taken away from you, nor can you give it away. That's what, that's what an inalienable right is. So when we talk about the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's what we're talking about. So he says you have a right not only to be kept safe from gun violence, okay? And, and he specifically says by Congress and the states. So what he's saying is now Congress and the states have a legal obligation to keep you free from gun violence, which means that anytime gun violence takes place, Congress and the states have now failed to live up to their constitutional responsibilities. But it doesn't stop there, right? He goes, or the fear thereof. Now, I want to relay something because we actually had somebody propose, you know, a, a rule change in the Virginia House of Delegates. And uh, the person that was proposing the rule change came over to me, and she's a Democrat. And she said, Nick, I, I have a, a rule change that's going to prevent anybody from being able to conceal carry in the gallery in the Capitol building. And she goes, I, I think you'll support that rule change. I said, yeah, I don't think I will. And she goes, well, Nick, you, you're a, a former Green Beret. You understand that you never want the enemy behind you and on the high ground. I said, yeah, but there's a problem with that. I don't consider my constituents my enemies. And she goes, well, wait, Nick, that's not fair. I said, well, that's kind of, you know. She goes, so you're telling me that your right to have a gun trumps my right to feel safe. And I said, oh, you think you have a right, an inalienable right, to feel safe. She says, well, yes. So, okay, well, then presumably I, too, have an inalienable right to feel safe. She goes, yes. I'm like, okay, great. I only feel safe if they can have guns. You only feel safe if they can't. So no matter what the government does, you've now trampled on this inalienable right that you've created out of thin air. Not to mention the fact that what if somebody, no matter what sort of restrictions you, you put in place, still doesn't feel safe? Does that mean you've trampled on their, their rights? Do, do you have to do literally anything that would make anybody feel safe about this particular issue? And what if what you do to make this person feel safe doesn't make this person feel safe? <gasps> so, yeah, Mikey, this is why... <laughs> you know what this reminds me of a little bit? Yeah. Like this segment... Reminds me a little bit of um, FDR's proposed, uh, what was yep. it, Four Freedoms? Four Freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a question about this real quick. Yeah. If you have an inalienable right uh, from the fear of guns, does that also mean that- well, From gun violence. Oh, sorry. Gun violence. Yeah. Okay. Does that mean that he's also- going to remove gun violence from all movies since that's probably where a lot of people's fear of gun violence comes from. He might have to. He, I, I mean, again, this is, this is one of those things where people look at this and be like, yeah, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't live in fear of gun violence. Okay, great. So that, how do we, how do we practically apply this in such a, how would we practically enforce this law? But I just thought, so right off the bat in section one, we've created, we've created, 
two new inalienable rights. You, you're to, you have an inalienable right to be free from gun violence and an inalienable right to be free from the fear of gun violence. Let's go to section two. All right, so this is where he starts to get into explaining how he's going to do this. So Congress shall create a mandatory system of firearm registration and licensing for the following limited purposes. Licensed hunters of game, licensed ranges for the sport of target shooting, and for the few who can demonstrate a special need for personal protection. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Again, again, I'm subcommittee chairman, right. Delegate Freitas talking to Dale Moore. Um now, you, you might point out, like, and this is what most people are doing on this. They're pointing out, it's like, okay, well, this guy clearly doesn't understand why the Second Amendment exists. Because, you know, he's, he's, he's making this all about hunting or target shooting. And then he, he adds this little component in there for personal protection. But even then, that's, that's an incomplete understanding of why the Second Amendment right. exists. And presumably, you're having to go through this, this large process, right? Firearm registration and licensing. There's a lot of people that will look at it and say, well, that seems reasonable until you understand that every single time like a government has come in and confiscated weapons, they've always relied on a licensing or excuse me, on a registration process first because they right. got to know where they're at in order to get them. But then I like this, the few who can demonstrate a special need for personal protection. So he's already limiting in the law. He's, he's already adding additional text into the law to suggest that this should only be a few people. Okay. A few people in one county, maybe a few people in, in downtown Chicago, is it only a few people that have a special need for personal protection? Is it only politicians? Like, who are the few? It's probably just Hollywood. He the, probably the just wants to make sure Hollywood is safe since that's <laughs> those are his people. The, the few are, as Tina said, those that can afford private security and politicians. Um, it, it, well, the politicians get they get state. What I funded. find so <laughs> you, 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 what I find like like so unbelievable about this and we're only in segment two or yep. se section two is who gets to decide who right. is, is, you know, eligible for a special need, because I guarantee you if we put Donald Trump in charge of deciding that he wouldn't be happy about this. This goes back to the left does this over and over and over again. You would have thought after four years of Donald Trump, the guy that they said was the reincarnation of Hitler <laughs> That, that him being in office would would provoke the left into thinking, oh, my gosh, we need to be pulling power away from Washington, D.C., away from the federal government, not giving them more authority. But but no, it's it's it, you you see it here I, I, again, like it's almost like he didn't even think about who he's giving this authority to, probably because he's happy with the, the current powers that be. But imagine what happens when somebody gets into office that he doesn't really like? Well, That's it, always the case, and both sides do the same thing. And, and people, people like to point out, like everyone's like, so people on the right will say, well, you know, um, in the 1930s, Hitler registered guns, and the point of like, no, he didn't. He only he only restricted gun ownership for certain groups. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> like the problem was is that he had certain select groups that he denied the ability to be able to defend themselves. Gee, I wonder why that was. Yeah, he didn't restrict guns for the SS. Yeah, but. So, and this goes into that. So again, you're looking at this going, okay, a mandatory system of firearm registration and licensing for the following purposes, blah, blah, blah. So he, he's leaving it open for these three small windows, right? Like if you're one of the few who can demonstrate to the government that you have a special need, and it's not just the government, right? It's whoever's actually processing your paperwork and whatever their particular sentiment is, yeah, right? You know, hunters and then ranges of sport for target shooting. All who seek a firearm will undergo a strict vetting process with a thorough background, background check, including 
the written and confidential approval of family members, spouses and ex-spouses, and or partners and ex-partners, co-workers and neighbors. A mental health check will also be required. There will be a waiting period of one month to complete the full background check. So just so we're clear, if you want to own it, if you're one of the people who are one of the few who can demonstrate a special need for personal protection, before you can get that firearm, you will wait at least a month, right? Actually, this is interesting because he said there will be a waiting period of one month. What that means is, is that if they go past a month, they violated the law. And I don't think he actually means that, but he's written the law so sloppily that that is how it would be interpreted by a court. But in order to, so you, you've, you've established, like I am, I am potentially in danger or I do something that could potentially put my life in danger. I need a gun. Here's your one month process. And in that process, the government, I guess, has to go through and check with your confidential approval. Yeah. Not confidential statements, which will be investigated. Confidential approval of family members, spouses, ex-spouses, partners, ex-partners, coworkers, and neighbors. So if you've got what? One neighbor, if your ex doesn't like you. I guess that trumps, that trumps if you have a demonstrated special need for personal protection. Well, what does family even mean? Because they're getting to the point where you don't have a mother, you have birthing person. You're getting to a point where, oh, your family doesn't love you. We're your family now. So which family are you going to go to? What? Are you going to go to the the people who are calling themselves your family because your real family has rejected you or or you have rejected your real family? Like. Well, exactly who are they going to for this? Oh, I've got a question. Um, what happens to the abusive ex-husband that says that he doesn't want his ex-wife to be able to own yeah. a firearm? Oh, yeah. He gets he gets veto authority He gets on approval, that? Authority, approval of family members, spouses, and ex-spouses. So if, if you left your husband because he was beating you and the children, and then you said, hey, look, I'm one of the few that can demonstrate a special need for personal protection because my husband is violent, he's not in jail, we're, we're going through the process right, right. now. And then, and then the government says, okay, well, before we've established that we you get, get this gun, permission. we got to get his permission for you to get a gun. That's in the cost of, like, this is, okay, so. <laughs> he wrote it, right? <laughs> this is something that we're probably going to end up bringing up multiple times. The reason that there's only 27 amendments is because it's supposed to be really hard to amend the Constitution because the Constitution is the supreme law of the country. Yeah. And this guy has written, literally written into his proposed amendment, which I mean, thank the Lord, this is never going to actually go into effect. But this guy literally wrote into his proposed amendment. This would have been enshrined in the Constitution yep. if he gets his way. That would have enabled an abusive ex-husband, not even ex-husband, because it said partner, partner. abusive ex-boyfriend, to veto the ability of a of, of a 20-year-old woman to be able to purchase a handgun to defend herself yeah. from him. Yes. And, and enshrine that into the Constitution. Like... And I, I bet you that there's going to be other sec, you know, other sections in here that are just as poorly written. But this is why we don't pass a constitutional amendment whenever we want, whenever we want to pass a law, because constitutional amendments are supposed to be a really hard to pass, and b they hold special status over everything else. Well, and the question too would be like when you say something like partner or ex partner, what does that constitute? Like if you went on a date with somebody, are they are they a former partner? Like at what point in the legal definition of partner, what <laughs> What is that in the most promiscuous society that has ever <laughs> existed? We're going to leave it up to ex-partners. Well, yeah. And then, yeah. So anybody, anybody that you met on Tinder now has veto power over whether or not you can own a firearm. I'd like to know about this whole mental check required because in, in our society now, mental health, of course, you have the 
highest instance, instances of mental illness, you know, that society has ever seen. And, and there's all manner of mental illness, whether real or, or made up, whatever. Uh, there is some real stuff, but then there's also a, a lot of, you know, here, uh, yeah. you know, give me attention stuff. So I'd like to know exactly who is coming up with the requirements for the mental health. Well, in this case, he's, 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 would it be authorizing it for Congress to come up with? But again, what's, what's interesting about all of this is that this language is so de- like neighbors, what constitutes a neighbor? Is it someone that lives directly next to you? Is it someone that lives an acre away? Is it everybody on your, your block? Like what constitutes a neighbor? And, and all of those people. Ne- okay. What if one of your neighbors is, is a former convicted felon? Or what if one of your neighbors tackles you when you're in the middle of mowing your lawn? Like what happened <laughs> with Rand, Rand Paul? Paul? Yeah. Does that person now have veto power? And again, these are Delegate Moore. Could you please explain this scenario? Like within the laws you have written it, would that would that not be allowed? You know, this is worded worse than you're going to have to remind me who it was that proposed the assault weapons ban. And it they wrote it. This was a few years ago. Was it in Levine? Was it, was it Delegate it Levine? It was Levine. It was Mark Levine. Who, by the way, got voted out of office by his own constituents yeah. Yeah, last thank year. God. Um, but Levine's bill, um, which was like an assault weapons bill, he wanted like a California or New York style assault yeah. weapons ban. But he wrote it to basically outlaw any semi-automatic weapon. And for those of you at home, semi-automatic weapon means you pull the trigger, one bullet goes out. Pull the trigger, one bullet goes out. He basically would have made it so that way the only sort of firearm you could defend yourself with is is a bolt well, action. It, 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 his was actually worse than that, but we'll. I, I want to get to that here in a minute. Um, but again, this is the part where as you're going through the committee process, right? These are the questions we would ask. Like, okay, well, based off of what you've just said, not to make Christian also brought up an excellent point here. He's not saying that this should be a law on the state level. He's saying that this should be a constitutional amendment, which means once it's enshrined into law. That's it. Like this is the law of the land. It goes through this like a, a horribly elaborate process to be able to. You'd have to reamend the Constitution. So he, he's created in his wording. This is not me manipulating the text. In his wording, he's created in, in a thing. And one of the most important takeaways of this is, based off of the the language he has used, if a if a battered spouse was fleeing her husband and was able to demonstrate a special need for personal protection. That personal protection would be denied to her if the spouse that was beating her put in a confidential letter to the government that I don't trust her with a gun. Because, again, his language says approval of family members. All right, let's go to the next section, section three. Those who meet all the requirements for the restricted gun owners groups and successfully pass the background check must take a firearm safety class and pass a written test on an annual basis. So there used to be something like this for voting. It was called a poll test. And what they found was, is that in Jim Crow states, they would ask absurd questions, like absolute positively absurd questions with no answer. And the reason why they did it is because the people that were administering it could then discriminate against black voters. And that's why we got rid of poll testing. Yeah, that that's, was a workaround to the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments yep. after the um, Reconstruction period because you know, those amendments on paper guaranteed voting rights for African-Americans in the South. But before we outlawed, you know, poll tests or literacy tests or anything like that, that was the way that they were able to work around it. And I, I mean, so to use another example of a way to deny somebody their rights, I mean, think about 
I mean, I was I was using the example of of you know like an abusive boyfriend or, or ex husband. I mean, think about some of the the potential racial animosities, mm-hmm. right? If if somebody is is you know being bigoted towards somebody because of their skin color, and they're your neighbor, if your racist neighbor tells you, no, I don't want this person to be able to own a firearm because they're going to be yeah. weaker and e-, like it, it just it is so obvious that Michael Moore just. He had an end state that he wanted, which yeah. was take guns away. Yeah. That's what he wanted, right? And he didn't think about any of the potential consequences of, of what he was doing. Like, the, But you know what? You see this all the time in well, government. You, you, just, you, you see all the time like dumb laws being passed because people have an end state that they want, and they don't think about what are the potential negative consequences. Second and third order effects. And to give you a really good example of this 30-second rundown, we actually did a Y minute on this a long time ago, and we might end up doing another one again. In the era of the British Raj, yeah. the British government in India had this great idea. There was these, these poisonous snakes that were killing livestock, hurting people. They were all over the place in India. This is you know subtropical India in the 1800s, 1700s. And so the Indian government put on a bounty to kill all the snakes. They thought, oh, well, we'll pay people to kill the snakes and we'll get rid of the problem. They had an end state that they wanted. They thought it was a good end state. Get rid of the poisonous snakes. That's a problem. And what they found was is that suddenly after, a few years after the program was put into place, there was five times more snakes than there used to be. And what they found out was people were breeding the snakes <laughs> in order to kill them and then get paid for it. So then the British government backed off from it, canceled the program, and suddenly all these people had these snake breeding programs everywhere that were worthless. So what they did was they released him into the wild. <laughs> and the long story short, it was like it was like seven or ten years after this program began, the number of these poisonous snakes in India were substantially higher than before the British government had tried to stamp them out. And I use this example because you know what's so ironic? I bet you, and luckily we will never have an experiment to prove it, but I bet you if this amendment actually became law, the number of shootings and gun violence in this country would go through the roof. Well, it, it would be it would be interesting. And, and, and again, to your point, when you say things like you must take a firearm safety class and pass a written test on an annual basis. So the question is, is again, what's on the test mm-hmm. on an annual basis? Where do you have to take the test? Do you have to take it in person? Do you need to take it online? Because if they actually put a geographical location, they can greatly restrict this. They can say, yes, you have to take a test annually once a year. It's just one written test. What's the big deal? By the way, the only place to take the written test is in Guam. Yeah, is, yeah, is in Guam. <laughs> right? And, and again, people think that's stupid. It wouldn't be done. In Jim Crow, they were asking they were asking voters questions that literally had no answer. They were nonsensical questions, and then saying they failed the poll test. No, when you have people in positions of power and you give them the authority to come up with arbitrary standards by which they can exclude people from doing things that they don't think they should do, they abuse the power. It's been done. I'm, the same people screaming about systematic racism in our country seem to think that it doesn't apply. When, when it's an in-state they're trying to achieve. And this goes back to another point that we, we bring up a lot. I bring this up in the General Assembly a lot. We do not legislate good intentions. We write laws. And those laws will be enforced and they will be interpreted within the courts. And if you think that, oh, well, it would never be applied that way. You bet your liberty with that, but don't bet mine with it. All right. Here we go. Section four, the minimum age for the restricted groups who can own a firearm is 25 years old. Renewal and review of the firearms license will occur on an annual basis. So again, Delegate Moore, I have a question for you. So we're saying that someone can be drafted into the military all the way up until, you know, starting at age 18. 
but they won't be able to own a firearm even if they show up and even if they pass all the background checks, even if they show up in one of those groups. So a 24-year-old woman who is fleeing her abusive husband cannot, even if she is determined, she can pass a background check, she is determined to uh, have a, a necessary, she can't have it because she hasn't reached her 25th birthday. Is that the, is that the rule? Can't Any firearm whatsoever. Yeah. Not- I, I think this is really rich coming from a Hollywood type because they're the ones that are always screaming about rape culture and all of this stuff. And one of the reasons why I love the second amendment is because it, it gives me the ability to defend myself against a, a stronger attacker or uh, multiple attackers. And literally I feel perfectly safe anywhere and everywhere I go, which goes back of course to that first section. <laughs> um, so what I don't understand is does somebody under 25, do they not get the right to feel safe from gun violence? Because how many women are, are raped every year? And let's talk about the age group. You Are women under 25 not raped? Uh, I am so sorry, but to me, the Second Amendment is the great equalizer, and him removing this is a massive attack on women to me. Well, and it's and again, these are the same people that said that one in four women on college campuses. So we're talking about an age oh, demographic that's, that's under twenty-five, right? Mm-hmm. Predominantly, predominantly under twenty-five-year-old women. None of them would have the ability. For, forget it. Like constitutionally, they would not have the ability to even, to own any firearm, a or single weapon. a single shot, a single a single shot, whatever. Couldn't even. Nope. Why? Because they haven't reached their twenty-fifth birthday. That's it. No, you're done. So let's look at this next one here. Um, all right, let me see. We have section, where are we at? Five, section five. Yep. All right. Congress will stipulate and continually update the limited list of approved firearms for civilian use, including weapons in the future that are not yet invented. The following firearms are heretofore banned. All automatic and semi-automatic weapons and all devices which can enable a single-shot gun to fire automatically or semi-automatically. So again, as Christian pointed out earlier, for those of you who are not gun experts, automatic, or what they often refer to as fully automatic, is I pull the trigger once and I hold it and it continues to fire until I run out of rounds. That's automatic. That's automatic. Semi-automatic is one round every time I pull the trigger. The vast, vast, vast majority... Of, of firearms that people use for self-defense are semi-automatic handguns, right? It, it's, that is, that is the primary source. So those are all now banned. All of them are gone. They're banned. Any weapon that can hold more than six bullets or rounds at any time or any magazine that holds more than six bullets. So, so you've just outlawed almost every single rifle and almost every single pistol. Well, I'm- what's funny to me is that he's, he outlawed semi-automatic, which would by default then outlaw You'd still magazines. have revolvers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because like magazines would be yeah. no more. We'd be going back to the Wild West. That, yeah. that, that, that honestly, bolt you action would, or muskets, right? You would need well, a six-shooter. Yeah, you could you could theoretically have a magazine that only held. Yeah, you well they they do like in a lot of your um, uh, your rifles and stuff like that. You can have a magazine that only holds uh, six rounds. That's yeah, not, but but. Do you have to re-rack it every single time because yes, semi-automatic, semi-automatic is no longer okay? Yeah, so you could have like an internal magazine, like in a bolt-action rifle, they usually have an internal magazine that holds about like five rounds. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what he's what he's allowing for here 
is like your bolt action rifle, a flintlock musket, right? A cap and ball musket. Not a whole lot. A revolver, right? That's what, that's what you can still have. That's what you can still have, all right? But there's more. There's now a third section. So what this also means is that presumably just owning a magazine that has over that can hold over six rounds is now also illegal. All guns made of plastic or any homemade equipment and machinery or a 3D printer that can make a gun, wait for it, or weapon that can take a human life. You know what I love about this? I, I understand, again, this goes back into this guy doesn't know how to write a law. Nope. But almost every single modern gun has plastic in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like to me I also couldn't make a knife at home. Oh, no, you can't make anything. Again, well, this is, hold this on, is hold the on. part... Uh, that means they're outlawing any machinery or yeah. equipment yes. as well. It's not It's not just the stuff you make from it. They're outlawing the equipment. So they're going to come to our house and they're going to take Luke's 3D printer. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he can make, he could potentially make uh, a weapon with it of some sort. Yeah. So, and then the other thing too is a gun or weapon that can take a human life. I wonder if that Delegate covers Moore. a baseball bat. De Delegate Moore, can you please explain to me what definition for weapon you are using that is capable of taking a human life? How about spoons and forks? I'm, you, I'm just, I'm well, just those, saying. I mean, he'll Look, probably die from the spoon All that we're asking for is common sense spoon control. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We just, we just need to, to create a national spoon registry. Yeah. And what it, it, it goes even beyond that because like. Baseball bats. And by the way, it, they're not even talking about the weapons. They're also talking about the things that can make oh, the weapons. That's what I was saying. A lathe, right? It's yeah, so milling like you're, equipment. You're talking yeah. about hammers. You're talking about like, like you know. Uh, yeah, you know, a lathe tool, can make you know, a baseball bat. Machinery. A weapon. Anything that can like cut metal. Well, they, um, so the, the, the whole question here, right? The whole question that we would ask as a legislator is what code section do I go to determine what a weapon is? Right? Because that's that's what you do. And then so, so whenever we look at laws, when we're going through this and someone says weapon, we will go to the code section where weapon is defined in the code and figure out what they mean by that. Because what he just said was any homemade equipment and machinery or 3D printer that can make a weapon that can take a human life, which is literally just about anything. There's a lot of hammer companies that are probably going to lose all their equipment to make hammers. Well, and they would, again, the question would be is do they have some sort of special definition that would exclude things like hammers or baseball bats or whatnot? They would say, well, this is this is some other tool, but the problem is is that that can take a human life. Well, again, if your definition of weapon is something which can be used to take a human life, then Cars, a, a knife, cars fall under a this. knife, a sword, um, a, any sort of blunt uh, object, a club. He right? didn't leave any carve outs, by the way. No. This is this again. He said this is an amendment, not a law, mm -hmm. yeah. which means there is no no alternative. There's no way to, to fix it because he didn't create any carve outs. He said the following firearms yes. are therefore banned. And then yeah. third bullet point, all guns made of plastic or any homemade equipment or like he, he didn't create yeah. any carve outs or even the opportunity for a carve no. out. So you know what a weapon is? I've got a weapon. Um, a Molotov cocktail is a weapon. And you know one of the things that you use to make a Molotov co cocktail is gasoline. <laughs> and you know one of the things that you use to transport gasoline? Gas cans. <laughs> so under this amendment, <laughs> gas cans are illegal. Yeah. Well, and, and again, for anyone... For or anyone, the machinery to also make Also, the kitchen rags that you light on fire yeah. to create it. And the glass bottles that you well, use And, and for again, it. for anyone that is sane, for anyone that is looking at it going, okay, that's ridiculous. Who would interpret it that way? I would, I would refer you to the United States Supreme Court in the Filburn decision, the Filburn decision, which was in 1941, I believe, might have been 42, but I think it was 41, 
essentially said that under the Interstate Commerce Clause, the federal government could regulate the contents of your garden. And the way they used the justification for this was, was this. If you had a garden and you were growing wheat for your own consumption, then you might not go to the store in order to buy wheat, and the wheat in the store might have come from a different state. And so therefore, the, the mere fact that you were growing something in your own garden had an impact on interstate commerce, and therefore the federal government could regulate it. If you are telling me, and this is in the 40s, all right? We're not talking about like the Right, the they new were burning agenda, people's fields. The new woke agenda nowadays. We're talking about in the 1940s, okay? They, the Supreme Court felt that that was an intellectually justifiable way in order to enforce something that they wanted to enforce. All right, let's go to section six. Congress shall regulate all ammunition, capacity of ammunition, the storage of guns, gun locks, gun sights, body, ar body armor, and the sale and distribution of such items, no weapons of any kind whose sole intention is the premeditated elimination of a human life are considered legal. Congress may create future restrictions as this amendment specifically does not grant any American the right to own any weapon. Now, there is a lot to unpack here, right? But here's what I want to, here's what I'm, the part I want to go to. No weapons of any kind whose sole intention is the premeditated elimination of human life are considered legal. Can someone please point me to the weapon that has any intentions at all? Like the weapon itself. What, in, what intentions? So I, I have firearms. Um, I, I am not aware of them having any intentions whatsoever. You want to know why? Because it's an inanimate object. Panpsychism destroyed. <laughs> it there, has it is. <laughs> no intention. Yeah. A person can have intentions, right? But this doesn't say that. It says no weapons of any kind whose sole intention is the premeditated elimination of human life. And premeditated? Like, so not only does it have an yeah. intention. My AR is at home currently thinking about thinking committing about mass murder. <laughs> Luckily, it hasn't done it yet. I'm very glad to hear that. Like, it is, it, it, it is, I, I mean, th at this point, we're not even talking about like poorly. This is just stupid. Oh, yeah. I, well, <laughs> the fact that he didn't even do any kind of carve out for the U.S. military at all. So if he's making all of this outlawed, it's outlawed. There's no carve out in the con in his constitutional amendment for defending the United States. Well, it is interesting because under this section. He does say no weapons of any kind whose sole intention is the premeditated elimination of human life are considered legal. Which means it, they're not considered legal. Yeah, that doesn't mean anybody. The military will have to give up all of our weapons. <laughs> not go, we're we're going to Costa Rica. We'll just give them to the Taliban. <laughs> 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 Congress may great. Yeah. So again, the, the oh, I would have had so much fun if something like this would have come before my committee. Because, like, can you please show me which which of the which of the weapons that we're now talking about have any sort of intentions whatsoever? And out of those intentions, do do some weapons have intentions that are not based off of the premeditated elimination of human life? Are, are there some weapons that I mean they they have different intentions, or or are they more like second degree murder weapons? Well, you what know, I want to know about this is premeditated is different. Are are the utensils and uh, vacuums and such used in abortion now? outlawed as well under section six. Oh my gosh. Michael Moore's anti-abortion. Somebody call Planned Parenthood. You know, now that I think about it, I, I, I really wonder how much time he put into working this thing up. Cause he actually did. I mean, to Tina's point, 
I mean, the tools that are used in abortion would be totally legal. Even yeah. if you don't think, even if you don't think the unborn child is a, is a, human they know being. it's a human it's, life. They yeah. know it's a human life. 100%. That's not the question anymore. No one even disputes that anymore. And so therefore these tools no, there's are created. People, there's people that still dispute it. Okay. In the but face they're, of they're all morons. The Those are morons. <laughs> Anybody that's intellectually honest doesn't dispute that anymore. But this sole intention, premeditated intention of these tools is to end a human life. And he, and he does. He says weapons here, no weapons of any kind. So he's not even saying guns anymore. So for those of you who are totally fine with this with respect to guns, he's now said no weapons of any kind with the sole intentions of premeditated elimination of human life. Abortion equipment. Swords and knives. I'm just saying. I mean, like, uh, but, what, how, are we, how are we to distinguish this? But he, the problem is, is that he defines weapon in a way that can be used to describe anything. My coffee mug. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 or, or the laptop that's sitting in front of me. I could use this and bash somebody over the head enough times until they're rendered unconscious. Like, not that I would ever do that, but the point is, is that like, well, if but you, your laptop might have that. Well, as actually, the, the laptop might actually be already plotting my demise. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, printers definitely but, are plotting but, my oh, demise. Oh, yeah, printers definitely plot my de those. Those should be outlawed. But <laughs> no, they, like it is all joking aside, like there, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this until we're done with Section 8, because there's a conclusion that I, I want to make about yeah. how short sighted some of this thinking is. So let's go to section seven. I mean, what's police, new is Michael Moore? Section seven, police who are trained and vetted to use firearms shall be subject to comprehensive and continuous monitoring and shall be dismissed if found to exhibit any racist or violent behavior. So we're establishing here um, who are trained and vetted to use firearms. So please go through, which is, they already go through that process, but are subject to comprehensive and continuous monitoring. What does that mean? Delegate Moore, can you please give me an example of comprehensive or continuous monitoring? What are are you? Is it their social media accounts? Is it is this Big Brother? Do you have cameras inside their house? <laughs> subject because what constitutes continuous monitoring? Continuous monitoring to me suggests it doesn't stop. You are constantly monitoring. Okay, and shall be dismissed if found to exhibit any racist or violent behavior. Okay, so hold on. Real, real, real quick, real quick here. So if a police officer, if a police officer in the execution of their duties, has to use violence. In he, order to prevent something, he's gone. have they <laughs> exhibited violent behavior? Yes. Uh, I would go so far as to say when they are training to take people down and the grappling, that is that is violent behavior. And so anybody that's gone through that training is. And, is if out. any of them play contact football on the weekends, that's violent behavior. No, here's my question. Here's my question. <laughs> so are the police that come to my house to confiscate my guns? If they use violence in order to confiscate my guns, are they now barred from being police officers? Yes. Because that's exhibiting violent According behavior. According to Michael Moore. I, I, I'll be honest. Uh, also, words can be violence also, according to the left. Like if they dead name me. Yep, that's <laughs> violence. That's violent behavior. Violence. I, Misgendering. Like, I, I picked the wrong day to not put some Jack Daniels in this. <laughs> um, I, it is unbelievable how 
loosely worded some of the by the way section seven is actually rendered moot because under this amendment the police wouldn't be able to possess the firearms in the first place do we think that there may be less people wanting to be police officers (laughs) you think if you're subject to comprehensive and continuous monitoring again what does that mean uh, th- well, they're is, not allowed to use guns anymore this is the because part, of Section 6, right? Because, because well, it provided that their gun isn't predetermined, it doesn't, it provided yeah. their gun isn't plotting to... You uh, know, my my favorite murder. section's no. got to be this last one that you're about to read. Yeah. No, because Section 6 says um, sole intention is the premeditated well, elimination of human life. Well, that's the thing. So they that, need a, they that need a gun negates whisperer. all of that. They need a gun whisperer or, or a weapons whisperer right. to determine which weapons are intending to commit premeditated murder versus which are not... Well, according to, to the left, the police murder. are always. I mean, they, well, this is this is why I say we'll be subjected to oh comprehensive and continuous <laughs> monitoring at all times. Okay, Section we need eight. a group to to <laughs> mod, We we I, we could call it the Gestapo. Um, I've got a new name for this amendment. This amendment needs to be the Jobs Program Amendment. Because think of all the new jobs in a massive bureaucracy <laughs> that great. Michael Moore is creating out of this. Giant surveillance state. That's the ATF sure. will grow. So oh. section eight, persons already owning any of the above banned firearms and who do not fall into the legal groups of restricted firearm owners will have one month from the ratification of this amendment to turn in their firearms for destruction by local law enforcement. These local authorities may organize a gun buyback program to assist in this effort. So just so we're clear, if this amendment were to go into effect, you would have one month to turn in everything. If you don't fall into one of those categories or into any weapons that meet the restricted criteria, if you do manage to fall into one of the categories which means they'll also be searching your house and if you don't local law enforcement will presumably come after you so just violent behavior just so i'm clear just so i'm clear the same amendment which has said that i have a citizen i as a citizen have an inalienable right to be free from the fear of gun violence later on in the amendment says that if I don't hand over my property, you'll be subjected to somebody gun with guns will come and, and potentially commit gun subject violence me on to you. gun violence. So basically, if this amendment were to go in effect, the only way that they could actually carry out the amendment is by violating the amendment. Is by violating your what was it? Inherent right inalienable. to be inalienable right. Oh, okay. To be to be free from the fear, from the fear, of gun not, not, it, it, let alone free of of actual gun violence, which is in of itself actually totally impossible, mm-hmm. totally impossible. Because especially you can't, when they're coming to your door with guns, you could wrap everybody in bubble wrap and put cameras on every street corner and in every single room in the entire country, public and private buildings alike, and you could not completely guarantee the absolute safety of every single. Per- you can't do it. Oh, and you sure as heck couldn't guarantee that they still wouldn't be afraid of it. Yeah, so you, that's you right. could, that, that, that was the point that I was about to get to, that like you can't even keep people safe, let alone protect them from their own psychology of feeling unsafe. Yeah. I feel unsafe when I get on the road in D.C. <laughs> I, like, like, I mean, it is, it, 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 again, so, so this is the point that I was about to get to earlier, but I wanted for us to actually wrap up Section 8. Like, this is why you have so many like conversations with people. Why can't we just do the right thing? Why? Well, because we don't agree. Yeah. 
We can't do what's right because we don't agree. You can't define what a woman is. Yeah. I think I can. You can't define what, you know, shall not be infringed means under the actual Second Amendment. I think I can. You don't understand why we keep going through a boom-bust cycle every 10 years with the stock market. I think I can. Like, we don't agree on, on basic facts of reality. And and then the same people who who literally, they'll see the sky is blue and they will say it is red. Then come around and say, why can't we just do what's right? Because we literally don't have the same interpretation of what is right. And then those same people then come out and they propose things like this. And it's so funny because, like, if you actually go to Michael Moore's Twitter account, um, he is getting ratioed into the dirt right now. So so I'm actually looking at this live right now. He's got 4,413 uh replies and he's only got 800 likes that is as as hardcore of a ratio as you can possibly get and by the way half of those retweets are quote tweets and they're not good quote tweets they're they're not for a pg-13 audience either but like the the point is is that like it is unbelievable it like, like so like we make fun of michael moore for writing this extremely poorly written horribly interpreted honestly just laughable stupid amendment but this is like an extreme example. In almost every single state house in this country, I guarantee you there's at least one person, usually a Democrat, but not always, that comes up every single legislative session and they propose something that is similar to this. And it might not be with guns. It could be with education. It could be with taxes. It could be with gender or anything. It, 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 you, what you have is there's an entire generation of, of lawmakers that think that because they got 50.1% of the vote in the last election, they beat the other the other lunatic that, that suddenly they've now been endowed with extra knowledge and the ability to do good. And, and, you know, they should be in charge with making society better. And then they go into the state house or they go into Congress and then they propose stuff like this all the time. And it goes, it flies under the radar because it's not as public. Michael Moore is a public figure that millions of people know about, but they, most people don't know who their state legislative representative, you know, is, but it really goes to the heart of like, I would argue maybe a lack of civics education or a lack of understanding well, what the law actually goes to that. It goes back to what Bostiat wrote about 150 years ago. It goes, it goes back to a lack of understanding of what the law is and should be. Yeah. Well, and, and here's this one commenter on Michael Moore's page. I'll just read this off. Michael did the draft so our elected officials don't have to strain themselves to do the necessary thinking part. To the others who commented, if we are fans of Michael Moore, let us not nitpick the details. The essence is the goal of common sense gun management, a.k.a. allowing Americans to live without fear. This is a perfect example of what happens when people say, no, we have a noble goal. And the only way we're going to achieve this noble goal is we have to give the government more power. And, and sitting around nitpicking about the details when what's required is action. Right, we can figure that out later. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, there's we a whole lot We can read it after it passes. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole lot of people that live through a lot of oppression, injustice, because people didn't want to nitpick the details with respect to how a law would be enforced, how it would be imposed. Again, we do not write intentions, we write laws. And if you're not careful about the details, you may very well achieve the exact opposite of what your goal is. I've got an excellent example of this. This is actually the first paper that I wrote for my grad school where I'm trying to get a degree in history. 
And the paper that I wrote about was the the electoral success of the Nazi party in the uh, 1930 uh, German elections, which was the first elections held after the beginning of the Great Depression. And then the paper concluded with the passage of the Enabling Act, um, which basically marked the the death blow of the Weimar Republic in the beginning of the Third Reich. Um, for, for those of you who, who don't really know what the Enabling Act was, it was a piece of legislation that literally gave Hitler's cabinet and him as chancellor absolute legal power, literally like over life and death over every single German person in the entire country. It effectively abolished all state governments. It abolished the powers of the Reichstag and handed all power, all legislative, executive, and judicial power into the hands of Hitler, which is why Hitler ended up becoming known as the Fuhrer. He was the literally the leader in every single sense. He, he controlled everything. And the Enabling Act was voted yeah. into law by the Reichstag. And you know what? The Nazis didn't actually have the votes to pass it themselves. They had a they had more seats than any other party, but they didn't have the votes to amend the Constitution, which is what was needed to pass the Enabling Act. It was literally an amendment. Yeah. They didn't have the votes. So you know what they did? They went to the center party. Which was the, the 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 other party that that was you know that that held the balance of power necessarily in the Reichstag to actually give them the ability to pass this thing. And the center party had been this traditionally center right, pro Catholic, largely pro democratic party that was very you know fearful of socialism and communism and, and thought that there was a potential of a communist takeover of the country. And so Hitler's government went to the center party, went to people like Bruning and stuff like that, who had been champions of, of German liberalism. And I don't mean American style. I mean, like classical liberalism before and just fed them lie after lie after lie and then gave them a bunch of promises that, oh, well, it's not going to do this. It's not going to do that. We're going to carve out protections for you and your party and, and everything. And and the center party ended up voting in lockstep for the Enabling Act. And almost every single one of those people ended up regretting it many of whom regretted it to the grave. Mm -hmm. And it is a perfect example, especially considering the promises were all words yeah. or all written on paper. None of them were held up. Yeah. And in all of the, the legal protections and everything that the Nazis said that they would give, none of that happened. In fact, it was just a few months after the enabling act was passed. The Nazis outlawed the center party yeah. and literally banned it. <laughs> and it is like the most extreme example I can think of, of somebody being fed a narrative and then voting for literally their own demise. Mm -hmm. And again, I, it's an extreme example. So I'm not saying that everybody that does the same thing is literally Hitler, yeah, yeah. right? I'm not, I'm not using the argument that you see all the time on the internet that anybody that disagrees with me is literally Hitler. Obviously, that's not the case. I don't even think Michael Moore is literally Hitler. Yeah. I just think Michael Moore is an idiot. <laughs> I don't, but like my, my point is, is that this is why we have to be careful about what we we pass into law, let alone what we pass into the Constitution. I, I have seen that. I have had this pop up with with my own side. Um, there there have been times where people on my own side, right, wanted to they wanted to respond to something, and they they wanted and they had a justified reason why they wanted to respond to it. And then I looked at the language of what they were trying to do. I said, "Do you do you realize if we vote on this?" You're not just going to get this. You're going to get this, this, and this. Well, you know, I just, I just think we need to do it. No. Was well, there any way we could? Yeah. If you amend this, if you take out this, if you do this, then, then I can support this. But you're saying that the only way that we can get to the issue that you want to get or the thing you want to protect is, is by allowing this wide open door for a government abuse. And I will not accept that. And, and it's interesting because 
you will you will create some powerful enemies on your own side. But that's our like our job is to look at this and recognize that at the end of the day, again, the government is going to use violence or the minimum, the threat of violence to impose this. I say this repeatedly. Whenever a politician says all we're asking, they're not asking you anything. They're demanding. They are demanding and they will punish you for noncompliance. So, yeah, we should be careful about what we put into law because we should all have a good understanding of the the violence that will come with it if someone violates it, even if they violate it accidentally. Yeah. I mean, can can I point something out real quick? Do the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution is basically put into place to keep government in check. This would be the first time I have ever seen um, something. I mean, it's just so absurd that it's a law for the government toward the people. It's not it's not inhibiting the government from doing things to you. It's inhibiting you from being able to do things. And it's enabling the government to do things to you. I mean, I, it's, it's just, it's insane to me because antithesis of everything that the the constitution Constitution is to keep the government in check. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. The, the, (laughs) the other blatant one that I will point out was the 16th amendment. The 16th Amendment of the Constitution is when the federal government could raise a federal income tax against you. That's the one exception I can think of. But Um, you're right. In every other case, when we look at amendments to the Constitution, certainly when we look at the first 10, right? But especially the the 13th, the 14th, the 19th. I mean, these were all... The other one was prohibition, which they had to... I've never seen something this egregious, though. I feel like this is way more egregious than anything else. Federal I've income seen. tax and prohibition were pretty bad. Those were pretty bad. Yeah, this I mean, like, would be were up they, there. Yeah, were they sending people to, I mean, like, well, did it, it did it actually lay out that they could send people to kick in your door and take things well, from you? Well, the, the interesting, again, the interesting thing with all of this is that you, you, will have, you will have legislation, and then a lot of times what they'll do, and this is also a frustrating point, is Congress or your state legislature or whatever it is will pass a law, and because they recognize that, you know, carrying out the law is going to be difficult, right? And you can't put everything in a code section. They allow the federal agency or the state agency to create regulations and processes for enforcing it. And there's there's a reasonable way to do that and there's an unreasonable way but to do that. But he maps out how to enforce it. But he's mapping it out very and like I said, he, the language is so sloppy that he's actually achieving the opposite of what he wants to achieve in certain areas. And, and you got people reading this going, well, let's not nitpick the details. <laughs> okay, you're going to be thrilled about that when a judge comes in and decides that, you know, you're in a lot more trouble than you thought you were. But, again, that that's part of I, the reason why I wanted to go through this is I didn't want to just use this as another opportunity to talk just about the Second Amendment right. or just to talk about gun rights. This is this is important for people to understand on a, a more fundamental level to, with respect to how legislation is crafted. Sure. And this, the potential unintended consequences or second and third order effects of, of poorly written legislation. And then, and then the approach that we should use whenever we look at something like this is never what's the noble intention. Right? If, if you're looking at it purely from the perspective of what's the noble intention someone is trying to achieve, you could vote for anything. You should be looking at it as what is the potential for this to be misused yeah. by somebody in power that doesn't have the same intentions you do. 
Well, what mm-hmm. I find to be so frustrating about this is Michael Moore, when he was writing this, probably understood that this would never see the light of day in actually becoming an amendment. Maybe he thought it would, maybe not. But all of his supporters are now going to go around and say, I support Michael Moore's 28th Amendment. It's like the Green New Deal. This is <laughs> Good. I hope they all run on this. I, I, I honestly, on this. honestly, I don't because I'm starting to get worried that people are not doing like the whole reason that we do this podcast and the whole reason that you do what you do, Nick, is because there is, I feel like a hunger for, for real information and right. not, not just the surface level iceberg, like what I always like to call like the tip of the iceberg. And and there's there's so many people out there that only have an iceberg tip understanding of of things that are really important to preserving not just our way of life but like our, our literally our freedom and understanding how our government works and how laws work and and what are the consequences of certain actions or certain lines of thinking um we've done so many episodes about economics but it's more than just economics it's about individual rights too and and I, I'm I'm really worried that there's way more people out there that only have that surface level understanding of things rather than that deeper understanding. And if you only have that surface level of understanding, I can actually see how somebody could look at this mm-hmm. or hear about it. Maybe not necessarily read it, but because they're only going to hear about it, they, they hear Michael Moore's 28th Amendment will help cut gun violence. Yeah. Oh, well, who would be opposed to that? It's just like how Thomas Massey two years ago was was literally accused by members of Congress of wanting people to die of COVID. They, they literally yep. accused him of wanting to kill people because he voted against it was like a two or three trillion dollar omnibus bill that is in partially, you know, partially responsible for the giant inflationary crisis that we're oh, yeah. going into. He was, the, he was the, like the, the one guy that had the courage to stand up and say, no, we're going to vote on this. And it's not going to be one of these things because there's procedural mechanisms where you can essentially pass someone with a minimum number of votes. He's like, no, if this is something that we're going to do, you should have to show up and do it. And his own party, his own president, Trump came after him big time. And it wasn't just Trump. It was all the Democrats. He was like, nope. And he was correct. He yeah, was he was absolutely correct. correct. And it was both parties, ever, almost everybody, almost every. I, I had, in fact, I know p- friends of my own and family members of my own in March 2020. It's so funny how we forget these things. Yeah. I know family members of my own and friends of my own, many of whom are staunch Republicans and identify as staunch conservatives that were going out there saying, somebody must do something. We right. need this yeah. right now. And, and I remember arguing with them saying, you are not going to like the consequences of it. Yep. And it goes back to what you said, that we don't legislate intentions. We legislate results. Laws. That's how we got the Patriot Act. And, and, and it is, this is an example, but it's just one example. There, there's so many examples of this, and it's why it's so important that, that what Nick is saying, the whole point of making the argument is being able to understand, not just understand how stupid something is, but what are the consequences right. of a line of thinking that can lead to these type of things and what will happen as a result. Yeah. Christian, I like what you said about there being a hunger and an interest in gaining a greater understanding of what it is that we believe. And that's exactly why we do this podcast. Yeah. And it's exactly why we're going into the making the argument section now. <laughs> Great. So that we can all make a better argument. All I right. want to hear this. All right. So, Nick, it's funny. I have heard this, the fear from want or the fear from, uh, you know, not being a part of gun violence. I hear that a lot. So if I were in a conversation with somebody and they said, well, I have a right to not be in fear of gun violence. What is that response that I should use there? Well, I, I think what you need to understand is that it, 
at a fundamental level, what they're talking about is they, they don't want to be afraid. And we all get that and we all understand that. What we need to recognize is that there are policies that we can put in place that can uh, assist with making a safer society. But that's not the same as saying you have a right to be free from fear of something or you have a right to be, you know, FDR had his, his four freedoms and, and he talked about not only the freedom from or freedom of religion or freedom of speech, but also freedom from want and freedom from fear. You cannot possibly have an, an inalienable right to be free from right. fear because there's no way to identify the things that you could potentially be afraid of. And, and, and if you're saying that you have a right that the government has some sort of responsibility to, you know, protect well, then anytime you're afraid of something, then, then the government or society has somehow failed in its responsibility. There's no practical way to do that. Sure. And, and people will sometimes say, like, well, that's not what we mean. Yeah, but that's what you said, right? So right. if that's not what you mean, can you please arrange it differently? If what you really mean is, I think certain policies will make the environment safer and therefore people would be less afraid than they currently are. Okay, great. Let's talk about whatever policy you want. Let's talk about the implications of that policy. Let's talk about where that policy may have been enacted in other places, what the effect would be, right? Let's talk about what the consequences would be. Let's talk about what the unintended consequences might be. Then we can actually have a conversation about something that is tangible that we sure. can address. But if you're just going to say, well, I, I, have a, I have a right to be free from fear of gun violence, it's, it's contradictory in its very nature because the mechanism that you're going to use in order to make sure that you are free from the fear of gun violence is the potential for more gun violence. Because if you're saying that you want to confiscate weapons like Michael Moore does, well, the only way that you can presumably be able to confiscate them is by sending people with guns to go confiscate sure. them and potentially engage in gun violence. So the only way that you can enact your policy is by violating your policy. Right. That's nonsensical. Please, like, like let's not resort okay, to let, that. Let's say they agree with that. They, yeah. You come to a you know, mutually... They'll say they agree with that. and But then they say, oh, well... Background checks, universal background checks would actually make me feel safer. And then the point you say is like, okay, well, we already do background checks right. for gun purchases in the United States. And people say, well, yeah, but you, you can do these, you, you have gun, gun show loopholes and things like that. If you buy, if you're buying a gun from a licensed dealer at a gun show, they, they still go through you're a background, go check, background right? check, right? The, the difference is, is that if I'm giving, if I'm giving a gun to my child, they don't got to go through a black, a, a, a background check for that. Okay, so if you're saying that you want to do that, this is where they talked about universal background right. checks. If you want to impose that, well, then the only way you could enforce it, because that's one of the things we look at, yeah. it's not just what you hope will happen, it's how do you ensure that that thing will happen? That's the, your enforcement mechanism. The only way you can have, quote, universal background checks is if you have universal gun registration. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't know if, if you gave a gun to your friend or I don't know if you gave a gun to your child or who your child, your adult child, right? Is what I mean by that. Like, I don't know if you've done that. So the only way that I can enforce that is if I have universal gun registration. Well, every country that is engaged mm -hmm. in universal gun registration has then gone to gun confiscation. And so I have a, now we, we have to look at those unintended consequences. Now, if, if you're saying, well, I don't care if we have, if, I don't care if we eventually move to universal gun confiscation. Well, I do. So I'm not going to let you have the mechanism right. that makes it easier to, to go to that. So we're, we're not going to reach agreement on that. Not to mention that universal gun registration would make Michael Moore's 28th Amendment a lot more feasible in, in execution. Yeah. Moving on to wait periods. So, Nick, what if wait periods would make me feel safer? Well, again, to some degree, we already have waiting periods. But the other question is this. All right, in, in, in two things. 
one, if we're, we're talking about something that we, if you, if you self-defense is an inalienable right, right? It, it's a, or it's right. a right enshrined in the constitution. Well, then we, we get a little bit tense whenever we start coming up with some sort of definition or rule um, or, or some sort of ability for the government to come in and say, you're not allowed to exercise this right for this number of days or this time period. Now, again, there's a lot of states that have actually imposed waiting periods. Um, the question is, is, has that resulted in less gun violence? In fact, some of the cities and places in the United States with the strictest gun violence have had the worst cases of gun violence. So clearly what they're doing is not necessarily working. But I, I would just say that, again, is it a waiting period? Or is it, if, if I'm a law-abiding citizen and I've done nothing wrong, why do I have to wait a government-specified amount of time in order to exercise my liberties? right? And, and, if, and if I do in this case, theoretically, what are the other cases that you might potentially make me do that? And, and again, this is where it goes into the other, the whole slippery slope idea, which, you know, some people will say, well, slippery slope's a logical fallacy. Slippery slope's a logical fallacy if you're essentially assuming that everything will go in a particular direction. But when you have a long uh, case history to look at, mm -hmm. to say that, okay, well, when you started off with this waiting period and it wasn't enough, you went to a longer one and then you went to this one. And then when you still weren't achieving the results, you never came back and said, you know what, this didn't actually work, so we're going to repeal right. it. You just asked for more. And again, that's why... There's this mistrust, as Christian likes to talk about, whenever we have these conversations. Um, and, and again, that's why I, I think it's it's problematic on one level to say, before you can exercise a fundamental right to be able to defend yourself mm -hmm. in an effective way, um, you have to go not only through a background check, but then the government's going to make you wait. Okay, well, again, looking at the scenario, what if it is the battered spouse whose husband has threatened to kill her? Right, you still have to go through due process of law. You can't just lock him up necessarily, right? You got to go through that process. But in the meantime, she wants to be able to defend herself. You're going to make her wait three or four days? Right. Now, here's my question. And this actually goes to a lot of other areas of this debate. And it's about understanding the fundamental nature of what government does, what it can accomplish, and what it cannot accomplish. This is one of the most important questions anybody can ask somebody when this debate comes up. You could ban all the guns tomorrow. Right? You can make all the restrictions you want in the world. What you hope will happen is that there will be less people misusing firearms in order to commit acts of violence or criminal activity. But all you're guaranteeing is you will have made it more difficult to get firearms, and that will disproportionately affect law-abiding citizens, people that have no desire to commit a criminal act. It will disproportionately affect them over criminals. So now you've created an environment where it's more difficult for me or more difficult for that person that's vulnerable to be able to defend themselves. If that person now lacks the means to defend themselves because of the policy you supported, do you bear any responsibility for what happens to them? Because there's a, there's a big difference from saying, look, we can't police everybody all the time and all of their activities. Nobody would want to live in that sort of environment. But there is something to be said when the government proactively acts in such a way that prevents you from being able to provide your own for your own security. Again, the government can't have an obligation to protect everybody at all times and all places. There's no practical way you could right. achieve that. But when the government proactively works to prevent your ability to defend yourself, it bears a special burden for the responsibility of what happens in that moment. Well, I think the biggest difference between those on the left who would seek to put more restrictions on firearms and those of us on the right who see those restrictions as unconstitutional is once I trust the government, 
and and we don't. No, well, and, and they don't and have again, a great track record. It, it, again, I, it's what I said earlier. It, they don't trust the government so much as they trust their side to always be in control right. of the government because yeah. these are the same people that spent four years saying Trump was a fascist dictator. But again, did they learn any lesson? Did any Democrat go into, and I hate saying Democrat because again, there, I have plenty of problems with plenty of Republicans too, yeah. but, but did any of those people that said, oh, we're one election away from turning into Nazi Germany and yeah. we need to, apparently, who knew that you could defeat a fascist dictator at the ballot box? <laughs> I didn't know that that was even possible, but like- did any of those people go into D.C. and say, all right, now we're going to pass all these bills to restrain the power of the presidency and restrain the power of the federal government and oh, all no. the executive offices that answer the president? No. These same people went in there and said, we need to give more power to Biden, who doesn't even know that he's president right now. They called for like, impeachment. It, 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 it blows my mind that the same people that went out there and, and for years told us Trump is going to destroy our democracy, he's going he's to become a dictator, are the same people that— by their own logic, are trying to supply the rope that will be used to hang themselves. And and I'm with those people that we should be, you know, skeptical of the power of the presidency. But the difference is they only want to be skeptical of Trump, and they don't want to be skeptical of the yeah. actual presidency itself because what they really want is their guy in charge. Well, that, and, that extends to Congress as well. I mean, they're talking about getting rid of the filibuster again, like— Biden is now endorsing getting rid of the filibuster. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm begging these people in D.C., please pass legislation that will make sure that we won't be supplying rope to be hanging ourselves. Because right. I don't know about you, but I don't want an actual fascist dictator taking over one day. But you know what? If we keep putting power, if we do stuff like this and we keep putting more power in the hands of the federal government, we should be very, very worried about what the future will have in store. Because one day... And I don't think we're actually at that point, but one day we could get somebody in office and I don't know what their party label will be. I don't know what type of person they'll be, but one day we could get somebody in office that does have really, really bad intentions for everybody. Oh, yeah. And, and again, every single time I'm trying to fight for, for making sure that that never happens, there's always somebody on the left that votes against it because they always want their guy in charge. Yeah. And that's the biggest difference between the left and right. Somebody on the right who understands this stuff understands that. No, we shouldn't be fighting to get our people in charge so much as we should be fighting to make sure that no matter who's in charge, they can't hurt you and take away your rights and liberties and your ability to live your life the way that you want to so long as you're not infringing on somebody else's right to do the same. Because the real goal of a free people should be to strip the government of powers it should have never had rather than simply bicker about who will wield it. Exactly. All right. I think that's all the time we got. I want to thank you guys for joining us again. Leave us a comment. Let us know if this was helpful. Michael Moore's 28th Amendment broken down on this episode. Once again, we will see you next time, and thank you for joining us. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.